0: And I'll tell you what, it's such an honor to be here, and we've had a great time this weekend. Um, Myself, my wife of 30 years, Stephanie. Come on, give her a hand. Wave there, Stephanie. 30 years. Uh, We had a great time uh, this weekend at the Hills and Valleys Marriage Conference, and so we're excited to be with you. One more opportunity here on Sunday, whether you're live in the building, whether you're joining us Uh, online, we just know that God has something for you, and I'm just going to tell you, being here in Maryland for three or four days, for this bald headed guy from South Louisiana, it's cold. (laughs) This is cold, because I don't know if you know, but in South Louisiana, we y'all got all the seasons. We don't have but about three, you know. Uh, almost summer, summer, and still summer. That's our seasons in South Louisiana. When I left, it was almost summer. We were running to AC. And so, uh, but we have just so enjoyed uh, being here and being a part. We just feel like we stepped right into what God is already doing here. God is doing something supernatural and divine here. I don't know if you... Uh, know it or understand it or realize it or not, but churches that are this young that have launched and especially this season and in COVID, everything that's going on around us and to have what God is doing here is supernatural. You should be thankful every day for Lift Church and the leaders here. We love Drew. We love Lauren, their leadership team, the volunteer team. They're doing an awesome job and uh, we just can't wait to see what God's going to do here in the future at Lift Church. I'm going to share a message we've been talking about marriage and relationships all weekend long so we're going to wrap it up this morning I'm going to share a message with you out of the book of the of of Song of Solomon Song of Solomon is kind of one of those books you know some people avoid it because they're like all right Psalms good Proverbs good Ecclesiastes okay Song of Solomon that just freaks me out I don't know what to do with it so some people never read it and then other people read it and they're like, they spiritualize it all. Well, it's a picture, see, Pastor Greg. If you understood it, it's a, it's an analogy. It's an example. It's a picture of Christ's love for the church. Well, it is that by application. But by literal interpretation, it is a handbook. It is a guidebook. It is a story of a relationship, a love relationship between a man and a woman. And it's there for us to learn principles from about relationship, about marriage. Some of their dating relationship is in here. Their first fight is in here. And their honeymoon is in here. And that's where we're going today because I'm going to be coming out of the Song of Solomon with a message I've entitled, How to Have Great Sex. And all the men just woke up up. What you say what you say? What you say? <laughs> All the men in the building and online is now now I'm locked in with you brother. I'm locked in with you brother. And so it's it's just so cool looking at the various parts of of Song of Solomon. If you're if you're single in the house and you want to read about what they're dating a relationship Look like you can go back and read some in the early chapters. If you want to read about one of their their first fight, you can read in some of the later chapters. Now, here's what the interesting thing about where we're going to start today. The wedding in, in the Song of Solomon, the actual story part about the wedding is only just a few verses long. Now, think about that. Isn't that amazing? When God captured the story of a love relationship between a man and a woman, and he wanted to show us what it looked like, he wanted to show us principles of commitment and purpose and passion and love and godly sex, all that is included in the Song of Solomon. He chose to only include just a very... There's very little we can learn from the marriage ceremony itself. And yet, what, is, what do we put the most time, the most effort, the most money, the most, oh, we want to make memories that last a lifetime? It's in the marriage ceremony, isn't it? And I'm not saying anything good or bad about how elaborate... Uh, celebrate your little heart out. I mean, do it dance all night long. You won't die, I don't care, what, you know, whatever you do. I'm just saying God's emphasis... Wasn't so much on the ceremony because the ceremony may legalize it, but the rest of the marriage, the rest of the decisions we make about the marriage is what will determine its success It's what happens after the ceremony. So that's why he only spends a few verses, and then what we're going to look at today is the honeymoon part of it, because that's where we're going to really kind of open that door and see what's going on, the honeymoon between Solomon and his new bride, his new wife. One of the things I remember about our honeymoon, when Steph and I were married 30 years ago, and we went to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Anybody ever been to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, in the mountains of Tennessee, hills and mountains? That's where we went, but we, you've got to remember, we were married 30 years ago. That was August 1990. The Gatlinburg of 1990 is not the Gatlinburg of today. I mean, it was old school. It was old fashioned. We went and I had booked us a stay in some cabins called Margie's Chalet. God bless Margie's heart. Margie, how did I have, there was You didn't Google it. You didn't look it up. Somebody, You just word of mouth or something. Somebody told me, hey, we stayed at Margie's Chalet. I said, sound good to me. Booked it with Margie Chalet. Bless her heart. Margie thought that it would be more romantic somehow if you didn't stop by the office, the official corporate headquarters of Margie Chalet offices, and get a key to go to our cabin. Margie was was more creative than that. She thought it would be really cool if she put the key under a rock and had us find it. (laughs) She gave us directions like this giant honeymoon scavenger hunt to try to find the key to our cabin. So we roll in the Gatlinburg, and it's already getting, turning dark. And we're, like, looking for this key, and we're looking. Okay, follow, the turn left, turn right, go around this curve. As this is store here, go here, and we're looking. We're stopping, and we're looking. At, is it this rock? No, it's not that rock. It's that. Look at that big rock there. No, is it that little rock there? Is it the three rocks over here? No, it's not that rock. It's not that rock. Come on. I mean, you know, Tennessee's like the rock capital of the United States. There's rocks everywhere. We're looking for one specific rock. And when I, I was pretty sure when I found that rock, I knew what I was going to do with it, and it was going to be something to Margie. So I'm pretty sure. I was, I was getting more and, sh- more and more sure of that because under my breath, I was not calling her Margie anymore. I had some names. I had some words, and I was just, like, getting frustrated. And by this time, it's dark. It is dark. It's pitch black. It's dark. We still hadn't found the key. Margie Chalet cabin. And so we turned down this little gravel road and we're going down it, and it's no lights at all, just our headlights. And it came to a dead end on this gravel road up in the mountains. And our headlights were shining on the back of a old pickup truck. With four or five hillbillies leaning over the tailgate of it, looking back at us as our lights shone on them, and I thought in my mind, I know how this movie ends. I've seen this movie before. The tourists go in, they don't come out. I could hear the banjos playing in my head. And I told Stephanie, she was driving. I said, "Back it up! Back it up! Back it up!" This ain't the rock. Thank God we found the rock. We found the key. We made it to Margie's chalet. We enjoyed our honeymoon. Let's turn our attention to the story in the Song of Solomon and see how their honeymoon began. Uh, At this point, the message will be PG-13, but no more graphic than Scripture is graphic. I say that to say, if you have kids in here and you don't want them in here, flee the building now. I gave you I, I gave you warning. We're going to pick up in Song of Solomon chapter 4 in Gatlinburg or wherever our lovebirds are at for their honeymoon. And up to this point, what you need to know is that the female, the lady, the woman, the bride, has done 75% of the talking in the story up to this point. I ain't saying, I'm just saying. <laughs> I don't even have a point about that. I ain't have a principle about that. I ain't saying, I'm just saying. But it's very, something very important that happens at this point. She has spoken in Song of Solomon. 75% of the tale is hers. The man's talking now, and they are, on, they are officially beginning their honeymoon. And he's going to talk for 11 verses before he ever touches her. Men, you might want to write that down. He spends time talking before touching. And it's very important as we look at this story what he does, what he says, how he is touching her heart and speaking into her heart and her life and her mind and her will and her emotions. And it's very intentional, it's very purposeful what he's saying. In Song of Solomon, chapter 4, and verse 1, he begins his soliloquy. He begins. His quotations and his declarations of his love for. And this brother got game. I'm telling you, we could learn something from him. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes. But he starts to tell your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Now, that don't sound too romantic to us given time and culture. Uh, this, he's like a flock of goats descending from Mount Gilead, but this is what he's really saying. He's really saying is you've had your hair up in like a brad or something, or pinned up or whatever. The gorilla, glue. <laughs> uh, no, 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 up at book. <laughs> Again, culturally relevant. Relevant. She's had her hair up, and now they're at their honeymoon. She's taken that covering off. She's taken that veil off. She's taken those those hair holders out, and she has just. Sh- shaking her hair out for him. No visual at all that I can give you about that. I'm sorry. So now he's like seeing her in her full beauty. So that's why he's trying to make this this comment about how lovely even your hair. Now Now this brother's going right even for the teeth. He's going in. Your teeth! Your teeth are like a flock of sheep shorn coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. Okay, so what he's saying is your breath is awesome, your teeth are white, and I'm so happy that they're all there. <laughs> You're not a hockey player or from Arkansas. This is wonderful. <laughs> your hair and your teeth, your lips. He's working. Now he's working on all these works. He's working his way down. His brother knows what he's doing. Your lips are like scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. Now he's going to the neck. Brother taking his time. Men, you getting my drift here? The brother's taking his time. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a p- Your neck is like the Tower of David built with elegance. On it hang a thousand shield, all of them shields of warriors. What he's saying is, you carry yourself with such respect, and you're so beautiful. Now, you may not know this, but earlier in this story, the Song of Solomon, as the in that seventy-five percent of the time that the woman was speaking, she was speaking about how she didn't think she was attractive. She was she was calling out in, in descriptive form the flaws that she saw in herself. And when she looked in a mirror, that's what looked back at her. And she didn't feel good about herself. And we picked up that she had a negative image about herself. So this brother knows what he's doing. He understands how she's feeling. So before he ever touches her he's opening up her heart and her mind and her emotions to him by building her up he knows that she has felt poorly and had a poor self-image so he's beginning to speak before he ever touches her he's talking to her and he's building her up why because number one godly sex is affirming It always builds up in it affirms. Now, listen, now, especially you men, our words are important. The Bible says that out of our mouth comes the power of life and death. And all of us need at different times in our life, verbal affirmation. Men, women need affirmation concerning who she is inwardly. Women, men need affirmation about what we do, our accomplishments. It's what gives us our identity and makes us feel worthy and valuable as a man. One of the worst things that we as men can do is to make a degrading remark about our wife's body, especially if she already feels bad enough about herself And so he knew how she felt. So he spent some time building her up, 11 verses to build her up before. He ever touched her because godly sex is affirming. It understands the need to say the right thing before we do the right thing, before there's intimate words, before there's any intimate contact. Song of Solomon 4, verses 5. Now here comes a PG This is the movie, is where it say PG 13, mature content, adult content. Here we go. You coming with me? All right. Sit, trade tables up in lock position. Here we go. We're taking off. Your two breasts, brother, them worked his way down. Brother, them worked his way down, and he's like amazed. His eyes are like this big. He's seeing her for the first time, and he's like, Oh my God! Your two breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns. I would say, if we're counting. Of a gazelle that browse, he's just browse among the lilies. okay, what's he talking about? Twin fawns. Yes, we can see there's two. It's pretty much an anatomy to explain it, man, any man hunters, this is what he's doing. This is what the brothers. any man this this is the principle that we need to take from this. If you're a hunter and you're a deer hunter and you see two deer, he's talking about two fawns, two lovely fawns in the grazing. In the, He's like, if you, were a, if you were a hunter and you saw two deer, as a hunter, would you stomp up to those deer and say, hey, deer, what's going on, deer? The deer would be gone and it would be over. That's what the principle is here. Oh my god, too dear. No. <laughs> they would run off and it'd be over. What is God teaching us here? Number two, godly sex is tender. <laughs> I'm not even gonna say. It. There's a gentleness to it. There's a gentleness to it. Men, we have to understand. Our wife, her whole purpose here on earth is not about satisfying all of our sexual fantasies. Yes, men like responsiveness, but. Women desire tenderness, so we have to learn to serve each other, to serve one another. Even in the bedroom, people always ask, Greg, what's appropriate in the bedroom? How many different things can we do? And I just the uh, truth is, you can be as creative as you, as you want to be, but you always have to filter it through each other. You have to communicate it, not put your buddy somewhere. You have to communicate it with your spouse on what each other, what one another are comfortable with and what they're not comfortable with. She needs to be okay with it. He needs to be okay with it. We're going to value her, value him first, because number two, godly sex is tender. Look, he goes on the Song of Solomon 4, 6. He says this. (laughs) He says, until the day. He's on his honeymoon. Until, not just the honeymoon night, until the day breaks, what he's saying is as that poet prophet from the 80s, Lionel Richie, would say all night long. I had an 80s moment here. All night. This brother's saying whatever it takes. Say, ain't just a honeymoon night. This a honeymoon all night. He said until the day breaks and the shadows flee. I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. It's exactly what it sounds like. You're like, is this, is he saying what I think he's saying? Yes, he is. All night long, we're, what's he saying? He's saying, I'm going to be passionate because number three, godly sex is passionate. It amazes me, the people who think that if we really go all the way after God, that we're going to have a boring life. That couldn't be further from the truth. As believers, we should have the most exciting, passion-filled, purposeful, directed by God, exciting lives. There will be things that are, that are routine, that we'll have to do, but the, we do the things we have to do to get to do the things that we want to do. He spent 11 verses doing something that he felt like he had to do to get to this part now, what the brother wanted to do. And he was being passionate about this. Write this down. Passion takes effort, though. You don't, it ain't it's not just like flipping a switch. Yes, God wants us to have a life and live life abundantly and to the fullest, even in our marital. Intimacy, But passion takes effort. It's not a switch that we flip. So many people say, well, we're just not in love anymore. Well, are you putting in the same effort that you did when you dated them? It's the same effort there. Some say, well, you know, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. And you know the saying, no, it's greener where we water it. Have you been watering that grass? Some feel I shouldn't have to work for this. We're married. I've earned it. Why? Why shouldn't we have to live in a lifelong pursuit? God never stops pursuing us. Why should we stop pursuing one another in our relationships, and our marriages? He pursues us because we're valuable. We pursue our spouse because they're still valuable. Six months later or 60 years later, they're still valuable. So there has to be a pursuit in this passion. My mom and my dad in the house that I grew up in, we had a fireplace, a real fireplace, not the kind that I got now where we go flip a switch and boot. (laughs) in stove fire, poof. Hey, kids, you want me to build you a fire? Yeah, Dad, flip. There it is. Enjoy it. Sit there. Your dad built and made that for (laughs) you. All the fake logs and gas flames and all. Nah, my mom and dad had a real brick fireplace with a real chimney, but it needed real wood to burn it. See, it was awesome in the winter because I loved it. I remember being a young guy, and I loved it because I would fill it up with logs and get that sucker started with your real real matches. We use matches, man, because this is in the 80s. All this fancy stuff and buttons. No, oh, you match. gun, another match. Oh, throw the box in there squirt it with something whoa it's flammable now that's what I wanted a roaring fire I'd get a blanket and I'd wrap up in that and I'd, i I love just to sleep there I'd sleep on the floor right in front of it but the thing is the roaring fire was awesome but it took work to get there it took chopping trees cutting up trees my dad in the summertime in south Louisiana could hear a tree fall from 10 miles away Hey, be quiet, boy. I heard it. Let's go get it. <laughs> get the chainsaw. Get the gas. Get the oil. Get it in the truck. Come on, boy. We're gonna go get it. So he's out there sweating in South Louisiana. he out there dying. Oh, <laughs> daddy, we have to get the whole tree? Cut it up, boy. Cut the cut the tree up, boy. We load it up, we'd bring it back, we'd split it, we'd stack it, we'd haul it to the house when we needed it in the winter. It took work. Now, that blazing fire was awesome, but it took work to get there. It's the same with the intimacy and the passion in our love relationship. We love the blazing fire of romance, but it takes work to get there. The flames of intimacy require some work put in beforehand. So don't stop working at the, If you stop work, if the fire is out... There's a reason for it, and we let it go out, and we can get it flamed up again. Men, don't stop working at the passion. Send that text for no reason at all. Tell her you love her and you're thinking about her in the middle of the day. Buy those flowers. Give that gift. Give her that chocolate, and don't like Forrest Gump eat out of the box for you. Give it to her. I may not be a smart man, but I know what love is. Well, stop eating the woman's chocolates in. <laughs> slobbering all over the woman's chocolates. That's her chocolates. Give her chocolates. She keep work at it. Work at it. Women, don't stop. You can help too. You can help too. Maybe I'm just saying. Possibly, just just a thought. I don't know. Just for Mama. I may be wrong but maybe don't necessarily every night come to bed in a space suit, maybe. We don't even know how to work that thing. We're afraid we go unplug something, and they're going to take the oxygen off, and you're going to pass out or something. We don't know whether there's buttons or, or, or there's zippers or there's Velcro, or is it welded shut like a suit of armor? We don't even know how to get in that thing. We need something romantic every once in a while because passion takes effort on both sides. Song of Solomon 4-7. All beautiful you are. He knows what he's doing, my darling. There is, this is intentional and purposeful words. There is no flaw. is what he said to her. They're on their honeymoon. Man, they're in the, they're in the throes of passion now. He said, there's no flaw in you. Now, we already know, we've already discussed that she knows, she feels like she's got flaws. So this is very important, what he's saying. What what Solomon is telling her here is, you may think you have flaws, you may see flaws, but you are the new standard for me. I don't compare you to other women. There is no universal standard I'm comparing you to. I'm only looking at you. I'm not looking at women in the mall. I'm not looking at women in the grocery store. I'm not looking at women on my phone, online, on a screen somewhere. I'm only looking at you. So you are the most beautiful woman in the world to me because you're the only woman in the world to me. That's what he's saying. And I see no flaws in you because I'm only looking at you. So you are the object of my affection and you are beautiful. Now we're going to value each other. This is what we're learning through this. We're going to value each other for who we are, not some airbrush edited fake picture. Because number four, godly sex is secure. There's a security. That's why he said this. He's trying to build up security, build up and breed and put in and mark and imprint in her heart, in her mind, in her emotions that in this new relationship, it doesn't matter how you felt about yourself in the past, how you saw yourself in the past. From this point on, I'm going to do the best job I can, Solomon is saying, of making you secure in who you are and who God made you to be. You're my wife, and I don't have to learn. It's not I have I don't have to learn about women. I have to learn about one woman, you. And that's how we should view our marriage. We, I, we should say, I don't understand women. You don't have to understand women. Just one. One woman. You get to spend the rest of your life, those of you that are married, understanding one woman, living with him The Bible says, dwell with your wives according to understanding. That means we get to spend the rest of our life understanding him. It, we need to build security in them our spouses need to understand uh how we feel and how we see them and how secure they can be because statistics tell us that one in four people men and women have been sexually abused so that has left scars right that has left things in minds and wills and emotions, and it's produced insecurity in our lives, and our homes. So we need to communicate, you are just who I need, just as you are. Song of Solomon 4, 9 through 11 says this. You have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. Still honeymoon night here right, until the day breaks. This brother's going until the day breaks. This brother's going Lionel Richie all night long. My sister, my bride, you have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, one jewel of your necklace. How delightful is your love, my sister, my bride? How much more pleasing is your love than wine and the fragrance of your perfume than any spice? Understand something. Brothers still ain't touched up. You said, oh, I thought we had skipped that part. No, we just got to it. He was just talking. He ain't, he had not, he just was talking. Then he started talking about what he was seeing. But now he's going a step further. Your lips, I'm looking at them, girl. Oh, girl, I am looking at your lips. And they drop sweetness as the honeycomb. My bride. You're mine now. Milk and honey. Are under your tongue. This is exactly what it sounds like. This is a kiss. This is a tongue kiss. This is not a French kiss. France hadn't even been discovered yet. Now I say that you laugh but think about it. We give French credit for what God designed for marriage. This is a Hebrew kiss. This is a God kiss. God saved all the best stuff for marriage. And He's expla- He's rolling it out in the Song of we missing, I'm just telling you, we're missing the good stuff. He's rolling it all out. God said, I'm, I'm lobbing your softballs here, guys. I'm handing it to you on a silver platter. This is the way it's supposed to go down. God saves all the best stuff. For marriage. Now, let me talk to young people for a minute. That maybe, maybe, maybe you're looking. Maybe you're praying. Maybe you're hoping. Maybe you're not married yet. Because I, I know a lot of what the questions are. I haven't been a youth pastor years ago, years and years ago, years and years and years and years and a lot of hair ago. I know that the question a lot of young people ask is, uh, "How far is too far? How far can we go? Um, what, where is that line that we should cross?" And while I won't detail a specific line i'll say this though if in song of solomon if god saved the good stuff for marriage if god saved the good kissing for marriage then maybe we should think about that if god saved the two fawns grazing in the garden and the mountains of incense and for marriage maybe we should think about that and apply that to our lives too God's got the cool stuff. God's got the good stuff. And, and, and all of it comes after that line of marriage. I'm saying this. Don't cross a line that starts a process in your emotions, in your body, that God designed to go to completion only in marriage. We're putting ourselves on shaky ground, risky ground. The process, once we start it, the brother has started a process here with his game and his words and his talk and his fawns and his tongue. The brother has started a process that's not meant to be interrupted or stopped because of guilt or shame or because we're not. supposed to roll uninterrupted into the passions and flames of intimacy in marriage. So let's not start something that we're not supposed to finish. And not, God wants to bless our intimate life, but we need to follow his ways. Song of Solomon 4.12 says, You're a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You're a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. What is he saying? He's, he's, talking, about, he's talking about the holiness of it, the sacredness of it, how, God, how awesome it is in this moment. He's saying number five: Godly sex is holy, not religious and rule-oriented, and regimented and form. And no, he's just talking about the holiness that God thought of something so awesome that He gave as a gift to us in marriage. And God is saying it, it, it is holy, and it is for marriage, but. I know I'm not talking to a room full of people that there haven't been mess ups and mistakes before marriage or in dating or in courtship or after marriage or whatever. I know that's not the room of people I'm talking to. I know online that's not necessarily the group of people that I'm talking to. But God says we need to have this mindset that we're going, no matter what happened before, we're going to forget the past. He's speaking about present and about future to her. This is awesome. This is sacred. This is incredible. This is something that God gave us. And he's saying it doesn't matter about the past because now we're covered in the present and the future. We're going to grow together in this relationship. God says in Philippians, forget the past and begin to look forward to what lies ahead. From this day forward, we're walking in purity. And God is, no matter what the mistakes were, God makes all things new. In the blood of Jesus, no matter what your past is, He wants to forgive and heal and restore and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. From this day forward, we're walking in that purity because godly sex is holy. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It means we're forgiven. And He loves us. And we need to know that no matter what our past is, God is there with us. There's a high level of passion going on in this story because that's God's design for our message. Intimacy done God's way. It's not just better. It's not just a better way to live. It's the best way to live. God's plan of intimacy for our relationships. It's not just a better way well I'll take that into consideration no it's the best way would you bow your heads please I want to pray for you Father I pray in Jesus name first of all for all the singles that are in the house those that are praying those that are waiting those that are hoping those that are trying to navigate the how, the when, the where, the who Father I thank you that you order their steps that they won't compare themselves with culture and the times and seasons that culture says what's right and when it's right and how it's right. And who No. Father, they will step into the kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all these things spouses husbands wives will be added unto you God as they prepare their self for their spouse I pray you'd prepare their spouse for them and I pray that their timing would be your timing God not their own because you're not late or slack concerning your promises as we consider slackness but you're preparing us. What eye is not seen? Ear is not heard. Neither has entered into the heart of man. That is what God is preparing. God says, "I'm going to." Bl- God, if you're single in here, God's telling you right now, I'm going to blow your mind. It's going to be exceedingly. She or he is going to be exceedingly abundantly above anything you could ever ask or think possible. It's going to be awesome. Now wait on Him. Wait on him. That's the hard part. For those that are married, Father. For those that are struggling. For that picture of a fireplace that has just gone cold and and dead and dry. Father, I pray something by your spirit will begin to ignite a passion inside of them. A passion for their first love of you and a passion for their first love of their spouse. Where there's issues, where there's problems. Father, I pray where there's a struggle, they'll find some strategy so they can get some victory. You'll show them by the Spirit of God what to do, how to talk about it, where to talk about it, who to talk about it with. Give them some strategies of wisdom, oh God, to walk through what they're walking through. Bless those who have good marriages. May their cup overflow with blessings right into the life of some other couples that need some help. And finally, Father, I want to pray. I want to pray for those that may not know Jesus, whether they're in the building or whether they're online. I want to pray. And if that's you, with your heads bowed, your eyes still closed, if, if that's you, if you're saying, I'm hearing about this passion in a, in a normal human relationship that pales in, in comparison to the passion we can have in a relationship with Jesus, that's where it all starts. Marriage is just a picture of Christ in the church. That's where it all starts. And if you're in the building today or watching online today, and you either have lost that passion and that connection and that relationship, or maybe you never had it, just right now, nobody's looking around. You may be by yourself, even at home watching this. But as an act of faith, as a step of faith with no one looking, just raise your hand and say, that's me, Greg, would you pray for me? That's me. Would you pray for me? Because the good news is today is the day of salvation. Today's the day God wants to change your life forever. Would you just pray a prayer something like this with me? Say, Father, I call out to you today. You see my life. You see my flaws. You see my failures. You see my sins. But Jesus, I know you came to save me. So today I give you my heart. I give you my life. Wash me clean hit the reset button in my heart and life oh god and give me your grace and mercy that is new every morning give me your forgiveness and oh god i'll live for you as you give me strength all the days of my life in jesus name and everybody said one big